Jamie, we're just a couple of Jersey girls. That's right. Now we know a lot more about Mr. Robot. How'd you like the finale, Jamie, uh, Python Part 2? I thought it was all right. I thought it was, um, it was okay. I liked it well enough. Uh, for a season finale, it was probably one of the better episodes of the season. I don't think I liked it. Oh yeah. Yeah. What happened? Because this thing's a this thing's a big giant Easter basket full of Easter eggs. The plot. I mean, where's the plot now compared to the end of season one? <laughs> you know what? I love the way you just put that. It makes a lot of sense. <laughs> All they did. And, and you're right. The season one, they blew up the software. Now they got to get everything in a big incinerator and blow up the paper copies. That's it? That's all they did? <laughs> That's stage two? Uh, I don't know. We saw, don't some, know. we saw some interesting jail scenes and some switch, switcheroo of the psychology. Right. Okay, but we got, we got Leon, right? We got Leon, which was awesome. Yeah. So, but it felt kind of like a teaser to the next season, didn't it? It's all a teaser. And you could say anything, Jamie, about this and you'd be right. Now, I think Knowles is actually the one behind all this. Like, you might be right. There's no, <laughs> there's no fact or there's no way to determine fact from fiction. Yeah. Well, that's it. Okay. So that brings us back to where you and I were on season one. When we talked about this, because you were saying, you know, what if, you know, we've got an unreliable narrator going here. And I said, if we have an unreliable narrator, then this is going to be a bunch of bullshit unless Sam Esmail is a very, very taut storyteller. Um, and so what we found is that he's an excellent storyteller. But we just get deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole. Like, we don't solve things here. And so, uh, you know, it, it, it's a little, it's a little um, tiring. It is a lot of bullshit. <laughs> All right, let's break it down. So right. before we go step by step to the scenes, some stuff we know now. Stage two is the burning of the paper documents. Uh-huh. Right? You agree with that? Okay. I mean, it seems to be, right? I don't know anything else that seems to be important enough to be stage two. I, I, I don't know. I, you know, see, here's the thing. I think that the, the stage two thing, and I could be wrong, um, but I think the stage two thing is what Elliot was trying to not do and what Tyrell shot him to prevent him from stopping hurting people in the building exploding and all that i whatever the, the physical I destruction of stuff i guess so yeah because people will probably get hurt in that yeah and mr robot doesn't seem to care he's the part of elliot's mind that is okay with that and elliot's not okay with that right uh all right well let's go through these okay leon's out of jail these yep. aren't in any particular order these are just the in my fury how i scribbled them down okay <laughs> <laughs> Mobley right. and Trenton are hanging out together in Phoenix. And Rome- is that where they were? 
Yeah, somebody on Reddit scoped that store out. That's a Fry's Electronics in Phoenix. Wow. Do you guys have Fry's in California? Yeah. All right. I remember they made a joke about Phoenix. Starling said it was the one place worse than hell or something earlier. <laughs> and that's where they that's where they end up. Right. We find out Romero was shot accidentally. Right. Like what the hell, man? Stray bullet. Romero, keep your head down, fool. Right. Get to a better neighborhood. See, this is why we need to have less racism. Get to a better neighborhood, dude. Save we, your life. We know Dominic Dominique knew Elliot was involved. I thought that was a, a glitch that she didn't that nobody was blaming Elliot for anything, but she knew Elliot was involved. Yeah, she knows Elliot's involved, but who's at the center of the picture? Well, Tyrell. Yeah. But we don't know how or when she filled, figured out when Elliot was involved. Yeah. We don't know the specs of it. That's true. All right, we know Knowles is the dude who sent all the stuff to Joanna to get back at her. Yeah, that was some, like, really awful. Like, I didn't like that. Um, I thought it was weak. I didn't. I, weak for know, him to do that or weak plot material? Weak, weak plot material. Hmm. Yeah, I thought it was weak. And we know she's going to frame him with Derek. Dopey Derek, the boyfriend. Well, you know, if she can get Derek to do that, then yeah. But that's awful. And what's the point? I mean, I don't know. I don't like any of it. (laughs) All right, Jamie. And we know Tyrell is alive. Or is he? Right? The only thing that throws that into question is the phone call to Angela. And, and, and Elliot talks to so many people as Mr. Robot talking. They don't sound really like each other, but that's really Elliot, both those voices, both those entities. But so did you notice, I don't know if it was my imagination, but when Elliot got shot and he lay on the, on the, on the floor, it sounded to me like Tyrell's voice was morphing into Mr. Robot's voice. Yeah, well, it's possible. Mr. Robot was morphing. He was flickering in and out. Yeah, that's right. And how does... Okay, if Tyrell is really alive, really real human, he's been around this whole time, how does he sit in his nice crisp suit with his (laughs) shirt pressed immaculately? He's been on the run for three months. Nobody's seen him. You know what that is? That's some more bullshit. Bullshit, (laughs) Rick. (laughs) Nobody's seen him anywhere. Yeah, I mean, where'd you get the suit from, dude? <laughs> the, the, the HQ or wherever the hell they are is right across from the E-Corp place. Tyrell's the most wanted person in North America. Right. How's he jumping in and out of there? I don't know. <laughs> it's just, it's all of it is a little bit too rough to take. You know what, though, so- Jamie? There was an interview with uh, Sam Esmail, Sam uh-huh. Email. Yeah. And he says pretty much Tyrell is a real dude. Oh, good. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm really freaking glad. I'm so glad that that, that he's oh, – I'm really, really pleased he about that. He pretty much says it. He pretty much says it. I'll put the it, link to the – it's a Variety. Variety.com interviewed him. I'll put the link to it in the show notes. You can read it and decide yourself. All right. Okay, so listen. Um, did you notice on that wall when um, Dominique brought Darlene in there that um, that uh, they had um, 
what do you call it, Elliot's alias as uh, Sam Sepiel? <laughs> no, I didn't notice that. Yeah. <laughs> I did notice that Elliot was very loquacious in this episode. He was. More than ever, ever before. Nice word. Nice word, Mike. All right, Jamie, let's, let's go through this. All right. Tyrell and Elliot are at F Society in Coney Island in mm-hmm. front of the steeplechase roller coaster. And Tyrell says we should be allies. And Elliot tells him we can't. And Tyrell says, I know your dirty little secret. I believe in fate. And then there's a reason we met. Mm-hmm. Uh, Elliot says we're both too smart to let pettiness control our actions. Telling anyone does neither of us any good. The best course for you regarding me is to do nothing. You only see what's in it for you. Not in, and you only see what's in front of you, not above you. I have no idea what that means. That's what something Joanna said in the previous ons, though, that you only see what's in front of you, not above you. All right. So tell me if I'm nuts or if, like, in the first episode or the second episode of the series, there was some sort of poem or some kind of stuff that Mr. Robot said to Elliot. And when um, when Tyrell recited that, it just it brought that up in my mind. The Red I, Wheelbarrow? Yeah. Yeah, that's the poem. It wasn't in the first. It was in this this season. No, I thought that. See, I was thinking that there was some sort of poem that um, Mr. Robot recited to Elliot. That Elliot recited to Elliot. Well, you couldn't be the- troubled to look uh, that up, Jamie. We do a <laughs> podcast here, you know. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I'll, I'll- uh, that red wheelbarrow poem did come up this season, though. Um, looking back through my notes, in the first episode, there was the Red Wheelbarrow composition book. Right. And Hot Carla um, had something to do with it. She might have burned it or something. I don't know. Um, but we'll, we'll get to that when, when Tyrell explains why he, why he is into that poem. Um, but anyway, you only see what's in front of you, not above you. And then they kind of pan up and they show the stormy skies above both of them. Tyrell says, I don't understand, and I want to understand, and he starts to sob. So much depends on a red wheelbarrow glazed with rainwater besides the white chickens. I guess you're right. He does say that here. My father used to say that to me as a child. It was the only English he knew, and I use it as a reminder of him and what I never wanted to become. And then the thunder rumbles in those stormy skies. Yeah. Um, really, really, really good acting. I loved um, the acting in that scene um, by both of um, of our guys there. I, I really liked that scene, even though it was freaking depressing. And there was so much, um, like, like, it, like foreboding kind of you know cloudy sky in this episode. That takes us right up to the credits, and we come back, and some 8-bit Casio tone thing is playing some sort of tune. And we see the E, looks like the E Corp building, the big tall building. And then there's some song about a hall of mirrors by some German group. Might have been, might be Kraftwerk. I didn't pay much attention to go. I I didn't work too hard on this podcast, Jamie. I'm a little (laughs) pissed off putting all this time and energy in, and it couldn't just be, oh, that could be true. It might not be though. Gotta wait. Gotta wait till next year. Right. I know. I I know. 
I, I'm disappointed too, but I, I haven't enjoyed Mr. Robot this season as much as I did last season. And I really think that part of the reason I liked it so much last season is because you made it so entertaining for me. <laughs> you know, well, because- the Easter eggs can only get you so far and you got to see how you got to have some stu- substance in the plot. I mean, got to see some people panicking in the streets and you got to see what that really did and why. OK, why did they even do it? All we know is they're going to now destroy the paper. All right. So let me tell you this. There is a poem called Mr. Robot. And I'm going to read it to you. It's really short. Does I turn my head clockwise and blink with my eyes. I can see through your lies and I breach your disguise. It's the reason there is treason in the craft of your smile. I will put you on trial. I will hear your denial. But the reason escapes me why you see what you see. And I cannot perceive what it is that you believe. Is there something greater than the forces of nature from your blood and skin to my hollow tin? My mind is a machine, its gears forever turning. No room for memories. I'm too busy learning. Thoughts pour in and leak out of my ears, and I simply keep going to turning gears. That is uh, by Mr. Bomba Dilly Diddaloo. <laughs> Tom Bombadil? Uh, it's, called, it's called Mr. Robot. Tom Bombadil was the singer in the forest in The Hobbit. Well, what's the context of that, Jamie? Well, um, you know, I think that there are a few little um, pieces of this that kind of stick if you think about season two. Um, one of them is, you know, seeing through lies, um, breaching disguises. Yeah, but um, wait, wait, wait. Reasons. So is that poem like a Sam email certified poem related to the show or is it just some guy on the No, it's or? just it's just it's just a poem that somebody wrote in uh 2005, you know, that maybe, you know, uh has a little something to do with, you know, what we're seeing and probably doesn't, uh, but I think it's got how some could cool it? Advice. I don't know. I'm rejecting that as more bullshit. <laughs> I don't need more Easter eggs, Jamie. I don't know if you're getting the tone of this uh, podcast from my side, but <laughs> all right, Mike. I don't need an. Uh, I don't need a poem from 2005 about a robot. <laughs> all right. All right, Elliot. But thanks for trying. Thanks for researching that. Elliot and Tyrell go in through looks what looks like the alley door to this building next to the big E Corp building. And they're greeted by a man in a white germ suit, uh, some sort of, uh, I don't know, sterile sterile suit. Work, you work in the silicon chip lab or the cafeteria or something. You wear that suit. <laughs> oh, my God, Mike. Okay, so, yeah, like when you work for the CDC. Hazmat. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. He's eating his lunch. We've seen that guy before. Earlier, I think this season two, and he was also eating his lunch in that suit. <laughs> now I'm serious. That guy has made us another appearance. Oh yeah. They take the service elevator up, and Elliot questions his senses, misleading our brains. Or questions how sometimes our senses mislead our brains, and it may mm-hmm. be all garbled reality, Jamie. That's what I'm th- starting to think. It's all garbled reality. Yeah. 
Tyrell shows him around. This has been his base of ops for the last three months. Right. He tells him the Dark Army set this up as my dis- discreet place. You don't remember this, do you? We've been through this already. Are you able to handle this or not? Your disposition concerns me. Okay. <laughs> and I think Elliot says, Joanna, your wife, she's been looking for you. And Yeah. Yeah, you got to take on that. Oh, well, I mean, all right. So, you know, I don't know what the hell with with Tyrell. If he's real, then, you know, I mean, it's pretty crappy, like, doing that to his wife. I don't know. I mean, it's really messed up. I would like to find out that Tyrell is not real. What? Why? Because because of that, and because it just doesn't add up that he's all crisp and 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 ready to go, <laughs> and he's hiding out in a warehouse for three months. Right. And he doesn't he want to get a hold. He doesn't want to sneak a note to Joanna. He doesn't even care about her. He's just and they're and they're ba- and they're brand new baby. Like they're babies at home. <laughs> it just doesn't. You're right. It doesn't add up. Tyrell shows him around, though. Shows him that his base of of operations. He's got an unlimited power supply for power surges. Uh, and says, "Are you ready to look at what we've accomplished?" Oh, he's all he's all he's all ready to go. Um, and we jump to a scene with DDP and Darlene. Darlene has the bloody jacket. She just keeps saying, "I invoke my Fifth Amendment privilege against self incrimination." She does not want to talk to Dominique. And, That's uh, right. Dominique plays the good cop, bad cop a little bit with her. I know I know you were close. I'm sorry you had to lose him. But he was involved in one of the most notorious hacker rings in the world. Fifth Amendment. Darling just keeps dropping the Fifth Amendment line. Right. And then Santiago jumps in and tries to amp it up by saying, you know, the Patriot Act makes your Fifth Amendment not even valid. You're not you have no rights. You're an enemy combatant. And, yeah, uh, right. And he's like, this isn't burn notice. <laughs> there are no blue skies for you. I did there. not like that either, Jamie. <laughs> U- USA going all meta and Sam Ismail, those are shows on USA. And the USA was the blue sky network because it was all happy, puffy shows. <laughs> but uh, Santiago. I, 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 I kind of liked that a little bit. It kind of fits in with that whole thing of them referring to stuff in the real world. Well, okay. But I, I get it. Yeah, it is a little I'm mad. glad you're here to balance me out because I'm, I'm kind of negative on this one. So Darlene turns to Santiago and just says, look, dude, give me a second with her. Like, get the hell out of here and let me talk to her. <laughs> girl to girl. <laughs> Jersey girl to Jersey girl. Right. So Dominique says to Darlene, talk to me. We're both Jersey girls. By the end of the day, we'll be best friends. And we get yeah, right. cut right to a commercial. <laughs> All right, we come back, Jamie. Joanna, no, Joanna to uh, drunken Scott Knowles. Um, yeah. Of all the gifts she sent me, this is one got me the hottest, and it's the sonogram. Yeah, what the hell? That's creepy. Yeah. Uh, Joanna's confused, though. Because I think she really believed that this was Tyrell sending her these things. And it doesn't make sense that Tyrell would not send her one goddamn thing over the three months. And it was all just Scott Knowles being 
uh, revengeful with her, vengeful with her. Yeah, that was just really stupid. Join us as what would make a powerful man like you want to drive me crazy. And uh, he tells her about his promotion and the price celebration party for the promotion, how Sharon was pregnant, and he didn't know if she was happy or sad about being pregnant. He didn't know if he was happy or sad. And he drinks right out of the wine bottle like a guy on his third day of a binge. You know what it looked like to me? Like a dude who was extremely thirsty, like like third day of not having water, if he could still be alive, and as though that were actual water. So, like, you're drinking with that kind of desperation. Just Really, like, though? Really? And you're in your own house. You're not in, like, the bus terminal where there's no glasses. You're in your own freaking house. You can't find a wine glass? There was a wine glass sitting on the, like, on the, what do you call the mantle of the fireplace. It had, like, some dried out red wine in the bottom of it. Or even a water glass. glass. Sometimes you see a wino drinking a wine out of a water glass. But no, he's got (laughs) a drink out of the bottle. Oh, my God. So he says, uh, after the funeral, I didn't understand how I could gain and then lose everything. And so I wanted you to feel hope, Joanna, so so I could step on it. Sorry, and then he starts to cry and sob. Joanna, yeah. right. <laughs> Joanna looks like she's about to comfort him, but then calls him a pussy and a piece of shit. And your wife was fucking my husband. So Jamie, he strangles her and starts to punch her. He says, Joanna says, "I'm glad she's." She says, "You're mourning a woman who, after she found out she was pregnant, was going to fuck my husband's brains out." I'm glad she's dead. Fucked her and her fetus corpse. Fuck her and her fetus corpse. Yeah, that's nice. (laughs) She goes on to call him weak and pathetic. No wonder your wife cheats on you. Uh, And then Noel starts... Noel's is pretty weak because he starts to say, Oh my God, what have I done? And he starts to call for help on 911. Okay, so I don't think that's... I don't think that's weak. I think that's decent. I'm glad somebody in the show had enough decency to stop, like, when they were on the verge of murdering someone. It's very um, reminiscent of his own wife's death. So I'm glad he didn't get away with killing her, which he very nearly did. Well, I guess you got to give him a little credit for not just leaving her there in a bloody pulp of a face. I'm actually surprised she didn't get turned on. Well, she probably was. Maybe. Our next go back to DDP and Darlene. DDP says Vincent was hurt, but he's going to recover. And then he's going to go to jail for a long time for what he did in D.C. And we know you were the leader. Darlene says, I'm no leader. I can barely keep a man or a guy. And Dominique says, I don't care about D.C. There are holes in your story, and I want to figure out why. Uh, and to, But Darlene's too smart for all this. She says, I know how this works. You act like you care. You get close to me. I'm sick. and It's all sick and twisted. Let's get something straight. You're not getting anything out of me. Now get me a lawyer, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and Dominique just kind of laughed. They're pretty equally matched, I thought. I, I kind of like this exchange. They're, just watching them go back and forth was interesting. I do, too. Actually, it's really interesting seeing the two of them together. And seeing the kind of chemistry that those two actors have on screen really makes me 
sad that they didn't have more scenes together this season. And it makes me hope that Dominique is going to be in the next season and that she will have a lot more interaction with Darlene because it was really like everything they did was very, very, very watchable. Yeah, they are great actors. I give them that. That That is true. Even if the plot was a little wacky, they are very good at what they were supposed to say and portray. Yeah. So Darlene or Dominique just laughs and laughs it off, essentially says, wait here and we get another commercial. Uh, and then when we come back from the commercial, Dominique comes back with all the stuff from the video they made, the, the mask from the movie, bourgeoisie movie. She says, I watched it as a kid, too. Not really scary. She wasn't impressed by it, I guess. And then she has all the other stuff, the tripod, the camera, all the stuff, the little video Darlene made was made with. And she says they're going to check it for Darlene's DNA. And Darlene just says, well... Go ahead, Cisco and I were into freaky shit. Who cares what you find on that stuff? But Dominique has more. She says, you had Xander Jones's gun, and we have its casing from F Society. You sure you don't want to talk to me? So she's, she's got everything on Darlene. Mm-hmm. Darlene can't wiggle off the hook on this one. And then she starts talking about Xander Jones. That's that dude. Remember the dude that she stole his gun? Yeah. Yeah. That's all she says, though. You had his gun, and we have its casing from the F Society popcorn machine floor. Mm. Right? That's what, that's what that, that's the gun in the popcorn machine. Yep. And she says, um, we can't prove that because your fingerprints weren't on his safe. Um, I figured you'd be crafty enough to clean up afterward. But I don't remember her cleaning her fingerprints off that safe. Do you? No. So I don't know. I mean, that gun doesn't really, that bullet doesn't prove anything, that shell casing. No, it doesn't. What if Tyrell's dead because Mr. Robot shot him? Okay, then that's one thing. What if Tyrell found the gun in the popcorn machine and just picked it up and it went off and the casing fell to the floor and nobody got shot? Or Elliot doesn't know how to use a gun. He picks it up. He fumbles it. He drops it. Boom. It goes off. The bullet casing's on the floor. We don't know any of this for sure. Yeah, that's right. Unless, well, yeah, you're right. All right, come back. Elliot's looking at a floor plan and some schematics. Tyrell's teasing him. And uh, Elliot thinks out loud to us as the audience, Mr. Robot, Tyrell, and Dark Army are up to something. I'm not sure what the play is. I could ask him, but who am I really asking? So there's a little another tease about am I talking to myself if I talk to Tyrell? Uh, Tyrell shows him the trucks delivering all the documents, the paper, the blueprints of all the 71 different facilities that will ultimately rebuild all the deeds and titles and paperwork of everything they dis- they destroyed on the digital records. Mm-hmm. And so their plot, Jamie, did you catch how they're going to do all this? The backups, the battery backups are lead-acid batteries, and if they tweak the controlling software, it's going to overcharge those batteries, and they'll emit... Um, they'll emit gases that will make an explosion and a fire, and all the records will go up in an inferno. Mm-hmm. And then Mr. Robot shows up. 
Uh, okay, now we see a scene with Joanna and her boyfriend, Derek, the bartender dude. Yep. Uh, he's mad that she's been all beat up. And nobody does this to my girl. He's ready, chomping at the bit to fight whoever did it. Yeah, like that sounded really kind of hacky, kind of, you know, stereotypical kind of stuff, didn't it? Well, he's a meathead. I could, I could actually believe that that guy would be like that. <laughs> you know, that's how he shows his love for her. I'll beat up whoever beat you up. Yeah. Nobody does this right. to my girl. <laughs> he literally says that in those words. So Joanna spoon feeds him the plot that's going to get him to take the blame for Sharon Knowles' murder. So months and months ago at the party, you saw Scott coming from the roof all sweaty and breathing hard. And if you make up this story for me and tell them Scott Knowles did it, this is how we'll win. And thank you for protecting me, baby. She's playing him big time. Yeah. And actually, it's kind of like a twist on something you and I spoke about and kind of um, speculated about a few episodes ago when we were saying that maybe she might um, set him up for the murder of Sharon Knowles so that she could get Tyrell back. And that's exactly what she's doing. You think? Yeah. She's telling him the, 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 the lines of dialogue that she wants him to tell the police or the FBI. You saw right, Scott. So- well, I guess, okay, she's trying to blame it on Scott. Right. But, yeah, I guess you're right. It might be Scott and not him. He would be a good fallback, though. Like, if she gets him to blame Scott, it might be to look like it's covering his crime. I don't know. Right. She's Yeah, what she's trying to do is get Scott arrested for the murder of Sharon. Um, you know, or, like, if the police discover that um, her, her boyfriend, her meathead boyfriend, is lying, then in either case, it throws suspicion onto two people other than Tyrell. Right. It is pretty smart because that would make a lunkhead like this guy look pretty guilty. Uh-huh. But he says, I love you. And <laughs> Joanna just says, let's go over it again. <laughs> Manipulation. <laughs> All right, we're going to get another commercial comeback in Santiago and, Dar- and Dominique. Uh, Santiago's reluctant on this plan. And says, we've been building this plan for three months. And Dominique says, Dark Army's cleaning house. I know her. I'm talking about Darlene. I know her. I am her. Let's do this now. She wants to just get Darlene, I guess, switched over enough to get to tell them all the details. What do you think she means by I know her, I am her? Oh, she means like that Darlene is morose, I guess, and you know, the personality that Darlene has and she's kind of, you know, isolated and alone and different and stubborn and smart. I think she identifies with her. They are like each other, I guess. It is interesting, yeah. this this Dominique Darlene mirroring of one another. Mm-hmm. So she goes to Darlene and she says, we have 6,000 agents working on this case alone. I have no life but this case. We've both been a part of world history. And, uh, Darlene just says, neither of us are special. I've learned my lesson. And Dominique says, if you're open to changing your mind, let me show you something. You're more special than you think. We get some music, some cool music. I don't know. Again, I didn't pay much attention to the artists, but it was cool music. 
And she walks Starlene through the FBI hallways, and everybody kind of watches Starlene, like, ooh, there she is. There's the F Society person. Yeah. Interesting how they walked her, though, because she was, Darlene was walking kind of like behind Dominique with like no handcuffs and just free to walk however slow or fast she wanted. Yeah, I don't think she was arrested. Yeah, but it, it's just interesting if she's that dangerous and important of a person. They just let her walk like that. So they go to a room, Jamie, and there's a huge whiteboard that they don't let us see right away. But uh, they look at it, and we see them looking at it. And Dominique says, if we rounded everyone up, guns blazing, it would not work. So we sat back and waited with a Python approach. And so we get the kind of the name game of these two episodes. You've got to wait for the right moment to strike like a patient predator. And then she she tells her that Romero only caught a bullet like a stray accidental bullet. It wasn't a dark army knocking people off. But when they all ran because they thought that was happening, that kind of helped the FBI get onto them a little faster. Right. That seems like a that seems like an artificial MacGuffin almost, doesn't it? Like a machination in this in this plot that Romero was accidentally shot, so they panicked and that alerted the FBI to them. Well, okay, so you could think of it kind of like that, but you could also think of it as like kind of that's the way stuff happens. Yeah, you know? I guess I could buy that. That real life stuff is accidental sometimes. Yeah. And you stumble onto something that you feel just feel lucky that you found it that way. Yeah. All right, so they look at the evidence board and all the map of characters and everything, and Tyrell and Elliot are in the center. Did you take a good look at that evidence board, the whiteboard, Jamie? I did. I'll put I did. a link to that. There's somebody on Reddit that like high res copied that picture and it's got a lot of interesting stuff in it. It it has a lot of, yeah. Like it's got people's IP addresses and that's the one where I was telling you that Elliot's um, alias is on there. Sam Sepial. Okay. And then like Angela's IP address and like everybody's birth date and um, what else was on there that I can recall. Like Darlene, that picture of Darlene is like the best picture <laughs> of Darlene ever. <laughs> Mr. Robot's not on there. No, of course not. They would not know about Mr. Robot, obviously. But... Oh, that's interesting that you say that now, though, because that's further evidence. Um, well, it's kind of confirmation that Tyrell is real. Maybe. Unless, uh, unless... You know, everybody else in that FBI office is inside Elliot's mind. It's sad. It's freaking sad that the only reason we know he's real is the interview with Esmail. Well, I mean, I guess, you know. Spoiler alert. Wanna... Spoiler alert for all you slobs who thought he was fake and wanted to keep believing he's fake. I don't think he is because he said that in the interview. <laughs> no, I think he's real because he's interacted with people on the outside. And now we got Dominique seeing him. Unless this whole world is in Elliot's head, then Tyrell's real. Well, he's got some hella good starch in his shirt. That's all I'll say. Is Yeah, it's right. I mean, seriously, very well fed, exfoliated, you know, conditioned. Quaffed. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Elliot. I mean, look at look at freaking Knowles after three months. Just and he's in his he's in his apartment where he can take showers and stuff. He looks not like a, a wreck. 
That's right. And he's not a fugitive. He's a winative, though. Yeah. All right, Elliot, now thinking out loud to Mr. Robot, why do you torment me? You lied to me. You planned with Dark Army and Tyrell. Mr. Robot says, what are you talking about? We are you. Yep. A meta, meta on meta here. Elliot says, you've got White Rose to get me out of prison. Mr. Robot says, it's what you wanted. We had to go all the way. Elliot says, what is all the way? Are you just distracting me? And then he asks Tyrell what he's doing. And Tyrell says, I'm hacking the firmware. Elliot says, this will level that building and kill all the people. And Tyrell says, I'm confused. And then they three-way argue a bunch as Elliot tries to jump in and delete the malware from the, from the computer terminal. This is yeah. where Tyrell gets the gun. He's confused. Tyrell says, I don't know what you're doing. We're supposed to be gods together. Back away from that computer. And uh, Elliot says, this is just another Mr. Robot's mind tricks. There is no gun. He's not even there. I think I guess he's thinking that to us. Tyrell threatens to shoot him. Elliot just walks toward him. And Elliot's trying to do an affirmation to himself. I'm the only one that exists. It's time to take back control. But Tyrell does shoot him, Jamie. And there's bloody hands coming from his gut. And Elliot drops. That's right. All right, so now Tyrell and Mr. Robot hover over him, and Mr. Robot starts starts to flicker. As if Elliot was dying, Mr. Robot would flicker out, die yeah. too. And he says, you did this to yourself, Elliot. I couldn't let anyone stop us, including us. Mm-hmm. All right, so we get to that guy that Frank, somebody, let's be Frank. Right. Uh, and he says, all we try to do is bring the truth. Your lights are flickering. I guess the the gray outs, the brown outs are happening across the city. Right. And, you know, when Darlene was in the room with um, Dominique, I don't know if you um, noticed it, but the lights flickered in the room. Yeah, there was a lot of flickering in this, including people flickering, but the lights flickering and brown outs look like they're about to happen. Yep. Uh, Angela talks to Tyrell. Now, and this is the confirmation, I guess, that Tyrell's really real. Uh, and she says, I, on the phone, I should be the first person when he, he, I should be the first person he sees when he wakes up, meaning Elliot should see her first. And Tyrell says, I love him. And Angela says, I do too. And then we hear, we've got tonight Kenny Rogers. Kenny Rogers? Isn't it Kenny Rogers? I don't think so. Google it. I'll wait for you. <laughs> I think it's um uh what do you call it um who's that dude who's saying um you are so beautiful to me I think it's that dude No that's uh that's the British guy that's, Okay let's see We've got tonight It's Kenny Rogers and some other country chick Oh no, man. It is. Kenny Rogers, dude. Who's the chick? Sheena Easton. Sheena Easton, yeah. Who needs tomorrow? That's such a wow, that's such a sad. You're thinking of the guy who sang Oh, 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 you know who I thought it was? Bob Seeger. No. He did the original one. The original one. 
No way. Bob yeah, Seger no. is good. Kenny Rogers is a pop. Bob Seger. Probably making a bunch of country people mad. Bob Seger's a rock artist. Kenny Rogers is like a Vegas show. Okay, dude. Like, I'm looking at the the YouTube video of Bob Seger. It's not the same song, song, though. He's got probably a song called We Got Tonight. All right. I'm telling you, it's the song. You want me to play a piece of it for you? Yeah. All right. Because this is the end, and now all we have left is the after scene, which was probably one of the best scenes. Here you go. What? That's Bob Seger singing We've Got Tonight. I know you What's that, Mike? That's Bob Seger singing it? Yeah. Okay. I'm telling you, man. Yeah, so that's who I thought it was. Nah, Kenny Rogers. Kenny Bullshit <laughs> Rogers. All right, get some credits. It's the end. And after scene after the credits, it's the Fry's parking lot, and we see Trenton and Mobley. Yeah, okay, so Trenton with no hijab. She's not wearing her head. She's got She's got to be incognito. So do you think they're in uh, worker and worker? Do you think they're in witness protection? Nah, dude, uh-uh. Just nah. asking? Don't get all hot under the collar? Well, okay, so you know what? You might be right, they, but I don't think so. Um, particularly, I really only because of this reason. Because they were being really careful to refer to each other by their new names, but they were also cry- trying to like construct a plot to fix everything and put it back the way it was. Yeah, you're right. I mean, they wouldn't never go into witness protection together. The government would not keep them together. Yeah. Also, Trenton's pissed off because Mobley's friends are walking in on her in the shower and stuff. <laughs> right? They're walking in on the bathroom while she's in there. Yeah. That's not witness protection. That's bad bachelor he, protection. Yeah, he he's trying to catch a glimpse because he likes her. Yeah, I think he likes her. He was flirting with her. We saw that little scene when they first met when Darlene had the meeting with them. Mm-hmm. He was trying to pick up on her before he knew she was in on that meeting. Mm-hmm. She's cute. I'd pick up on her. Smart, uh, yeah? smart, cute girl. Yeah. Without hijab or with hijab? I don't like that I like American-looking girls. You don't like American-looking girls? I like girls? American fashion. <laughs> so you want to you want a hijab to Trenton? No, I want her looking like she looks at the fries. Oh, okay. All right. She wants to go back to her family. She's just sick of run, being on the run and Mobley's friends walking in in the bathroom. And then Leon shows up, Jamie. And ask them <laughs> yeah. for the time. What time you got? It's always trouble oh, when somebody asks you what time it is. You know what? That wasn't Mobley didn't Mobley didn't walk in on her in the bathroom. It's their other roommate. Yeah, she said it's I, Mobley's friends. So they're staying yeah. with Mobley's friends. I, I, they're not in witness protection. They're yeah. at some crap ass apartment in Phoenix with Mobley's right. friends. Right. <laughs> Probably four guys in Trenton. Probably. With underwear on the floor and probably smells <laughs> really bad. 
Right. No, no clean towels. Do I have mm-hmm. to go on, Jamie? Mm-hmm. And then Leon shows up and asks for the time. Now, yep. that was interesting. What is, is Leon the assassin of the Dark Army ready to clean up shop, or is he going to recruit them? I don't know, but that's an interesting question. Do you have the time because of, you know, White Rose? Well, he ain't there to set his watch. I'll tell you that much. What's that, Mike? He's not there to set his watch. He doesn't care what time it is. He's just showing up. Well, like I said, you know, that's White Rose's thing is the time. And and he's got a connection to White Rose. So it's an interesting question. And White Rose does nothing by accident. So it's not like he just happened to be passing through Phoenix on his right. way to get a Bluetooth player <laughs> or a Blu-ray player. Hey, there are some people who look oddly familiar. I'm not sure why. I'll go ask him what time it is. Now, Leon, well, Leon was in jail when Elliot got released. He was still in there, right? Uh-huh. He wasn't released, too. Nope. He said, put in a good word with me, with, with White Rose for me. Yeah. He's probably in jail however long he needs to be in there to talk to people, and White Rose just gets him out. Maybe. And, uh, yeah, now, so what do you think he's doing with Mobley and Trenton, though? I don't know, but I think that he is there to do the bidding of Dark Army, and I think that, um, you know, it's not good. It's not good for Mobley or Trenton. Yeah. So, Jamie, on Reddit and everywhere on forums and stuff, people are talking about, okay, did you watch True Detective and you watch Fargo? Um, I watched the season two of True Detective, and I don't watch Fargo. Oh, you're watching the wrong show, baby. <laughs> say, so True Detective's first season was fantastically good. By yep. the way, we podcast both Fargo and True Detective. We have podcast both seasons of um, each. I know. So True Detective was fantastic first season. Second season sucked ass. It was terrible. Yeah, well, yeah. And that was the one that I had to watch in order to podcast um to fill in for Michelle with you. And I thought it was I thought it was pretty good, but Apparently, it's because I don't know how good season one was. And on the other side, Fargo, fantastic season one and fantastic season two. All right. And the difference in both or the difference between them was that in True Detective, they let the writer have full control. Uh, I'm losing the guy's name now. It's slipping my mind. But they let him have full control, and he's the he was the writer in season two. And that's what they let Ismael do here in season two. And I think he might have been too cute in this season, Jamie, with all these Easter eggs and meta references and references about USA shows, little nods and winks to his shows that he liked when he was probably growing up and stuff, music he liked. A little too heavy-handed. Yeah, I don't know. Um, okay, so the guy who created True Detective is uh, Nick Pizzolatto. And um, we, man, we talked about him a lot in those episodes that I podcasted with you or filled in uh, for Michelle. But I think that um, that Semis Mill had a very definite um, story that he wanted to tell, uh, you know, for this season. And I think that he... Um, needed to have the level of control over the show, over the episodes, each episode that he did have in order to tell the story. Um, 
I'm just not sure that the audience was able to appreciate what he put into it because I've been left feeling disappointed. Well, some stuff went too long. Like all the whole Elliot in jail or what the hell's going on with him. That was way too long. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I, I didn't enjoy this season as much as season one. And it's a shame because, you know, I think it was well done. I just didn't like it. The whole what what is Tyrell? Um, somebody said it. I can't remember who, but it makes a lot of sense that they said it. That there there needs to be a there needs to be a legend to this, like a like a language legend that says this means this is real and this means it might be mysteriously like unknown whether it's real or not. And there's no there's no authoritative legend that says okay, absolutely, this thing you're seeing right now is real. Right. We right. need that stability to make it more enjoyable. Yeah, that's that's the thing that's tough. I think that it's that way for a reason. I think the writer gets it and knows and is like, ah, I'm going to make you guys work for it. I'm not going to, you know, spoon feed it to you. I know you're smart. I know you can, you know, you can figure it out. But I think that there comes a point when enough is enough. I think that we should have received resolutions to mysteries throughout the season. Like, I think that there should have been little points in time where, you know, exactly what you're saying, where we thought, okay, well, oh, okay. All right. So if there's a red light, then, you know, it means this, and then we can look and, you know, understand part of the story because of that. Or, you know, if, you know, well, now we know, you know, that this part's real. So now we can figure out the rest of it. You've got to give breadcrumbs. You can't just lay down, you know, labyrinthine mysteries and expect people to follow it and be satisfied, you know, at the end of a season where you haven't given very much. Yeah. I mean, I would like to know what Angela's up to. She's up to something nefarious, it looks like. You know, why is she nice to her dad in season one, then mean to him in season two? You know, the whole thing about Tyrell being real or not real, alive or dead, what's going on with that? That took way too long. And we still, I guess we technically know, but it still wasn't definitive. Uh, what's what's going on at the wastewater treatment plant and what's going on in the Congo? Well, I mean, what's the freaking plot? Right, exactly. We had a whole season and we don't know any of that. All we know is they're going to destroy more stuff to make it more. F- they're going to finish off what they did in season one, like officially with the. The paper records. Yeah. I don't know. Everyone's going to come back and watch season three. You know, I'm interested, but I, I I guess I'm disappointed. Yeah, I'm disappointed too. All right, Jamie. That's it. That's all right, Mike. Mr. Robot. All right. So we need to wrap up making a murderer. How do people reach you, Jamie, before they hear the next episode of Mr. Murderer? <laughs> That'd be a good um, show, um, Mr. Murderer. <laughs> All right. So I have a website um, that is related to the podcast that we do, and it is called wishisaidthatshit.com. And I'm on Twitter, and I'm at Word Girly. Do you ever have any uh, wish I said that shits about making a murderer? No, but I am going to have some wish I said that shit's about making a murderer. 
and the rest of our podcasts, because now that we're done with Mr. Robot, I'm going to be going back and beginning the series over and um, working on The Americans, uh, which is going to premiere in the fall, and um, wrapping up uh, Making a Murderer, because there's a season two of Making a Murderer that's coming out. So we're going to have a nice little body of stuff commentary and things um and little extras and links and um embedded fun things on that website that will all tie back to west coast project and you're giving away free travel coupons to las vegas aren't you yeah i am and they're all under the name of mike all right i'll send in for mine (laughs) and hopefully you'll get some traffic Yeah, we do other shows on West Coast Projects, so please come on and look at them and watch them and listen to them. And Fargo's one we talked about, and True Detective, and Better Call Saul, and all of that stuff. So Making a Murderer, you're right, we do have to finish it. I'll leave this in, because you're right, we do have to finish it. I bailed on Orange is the New Black, because I started to not like that show, and I turned it over to Michelle, and then she bailed on it. <laughs> so it's bad wow, to bail. Really? It's, it's bad to bail on shows, because people... People follow us and they like to hear. I mean, they tweet us and they they make messages and stuff like, "Oh, it's gl- I'm I'm glad you guys are back on because I missed t- listening to you." And it's bad to just bail on them. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, and that's that's a big part of the reason why um, I stuck through making a murderer, which I ended up being really glad that I stuck through it. But those first like maybe three or four episodes of that series were so freaking hard to watch. It was so depressing. And and that's the reason why I stick with um, Mr. Robot, because, you know, if if it were just me and we weren't podcasting on this on this show, I probably wouldn't watch it. But I watch it because I kind of have a curiosity about, you know, what lies underneath it. And because it's really it's well done, even though I get mad at it and I didn't find certain episodes, I didn't find satisfying it's good writing. It's really good writing and it's great acting. And, you know, um, and I have mad respect for Sam Esmail and for, for everybody who's a part of this show. So I stick with it. But again, like if I didn't podcast, I probably wouldn't watch it. Yeah. I guess we should be more, we should be more grateful to Sam Esmail and to Mr. Robot. It, it is a very entertaining show and those Easter eggs are entertaining. And that's why making a murderer is so hard to podcast because there are no Easter eggs. There are no, you know, secret pathways and cul-de-sacs and little loops of information that are interesting distractions. It's some poor slob getting railroaded, and it's that week after week after week. It's ten episodes of that. Right. It exactly. makes it hard to talk about stuff because it's the same thing over and over. Yeah, you're right. I mean, and and so that'll be what's good about the the next season because you know it's going to be real type stuff that's happening that we can actually look at in real time and you know hopefully make some references you know to actual modern times in it. Wait, so what are you talking about now? What, making murderer season two? Yeah, maybe. Is it a different person? No, I think it's going to be, well, I think it's going to be more about Stephen Avery. Oh, God. What could be different? <laughs> the guy's in jail. I mean, what? It, unless I unless he gets out or something, his nephew got out, I guess that's good. But that's like one thing to talk about. But did they really release him, though? I don't know if they released him. I don't know. I've been too busy researching Mr. Robot to figure out what's going on in real life. Oh, my God, right? Is all I'm saying, man. It's like, it's a rough situation. Also, Halt and Catch Fire, we do that podcast. That takes a lot of work, too. It's not as 
deep as Mr. Robot, but I don't know. I think uh, I think it's interesting that so many people love Mr. Robot, and it's still a pretty it's a boutique show. It still only gets about a million viewers. You know, it's not yeah, a Walking I mean, Dead. <laughs> well, so um, uh, Rami Malek won an Emmy uh, last weekend, last uh, Sunday night for his um, role in Mr. Robot. So that could increase uh, viewership for sure. Nah, it's too, it's too smart. It's too hard to figure out for people. It is. It's too smart. People are slack jawed yokels and they want to see stuff that blows up and goes fast and boobs pop out every now and then. All right. They don't want to think about dark armies and men dressed as women with extremely duplicitous plots and crazy characters that think they're two people. And it's too hard for people. All right. So let me ask you something. Um, Did you watch the Emmys the other night? No, I didn't watch it. But I heard heard, um, Rami was pretty entertaining in his his white Casablanca suit. Was, okay, so he was super smooth looking. Um, loved it, loved it. But and he was funny too. He was like, he was like entertaining to listen to. Yeah, I'm gonna link to it. I'm what did he do? So what did he do? Well, I mean, just to, like his speech and like what I'll link. I'll link to it from. Well, tell us. Um, not everybody's gonna click the link. I'm not gonna click uh, the goddamn link. <laughs> All right. So I don't remember like exactly everything that he said. Um, Let's see. Um, So um, Al Jazeera actually wrote an article about him. Rami Malek, an an Arab in Hollywood. Al Jazeera is a surprisingly good media outlet. I I don't know. Surprisingly, that's very – it's probably – prejudicial for me to say that but it oh i don't know about that no i don't think that's unfair at all like in most countries that have like autocratic type governments or like um um that they have like demagogues who are in power um or theocracies or um monarchies um they they have state-run media and their media is shit and all it is is like you know stuff that makes the state look good so i don't think that's unfair at all for you to say that. Yeah, it's not like Al-Qaeda or ISIS spokespeople. It's like pretty comprehensive and pretty, you know, they're pretty f- neutral. Yeah, actually, it's really good journalism. Like people will like way back in the day before Al Jazeera was like a for sure thing. You could subscribe to a bunch of different networks like a la carte through your cable company. And um, back when I was married, my husband, that was one of the stations that he would subscribe to um, because he wanted to get that news from all over the world that didn't have that United States kind of tent to it. Um, because you'll notice, like, if you gather news from around the world, like different news sources um, that are credible, you can get a pretty good picture of what's happening in the world. Maybe, <laughs> but I mean, if there's examples within the United States, like Fox is pretty one-sided, but the New York Times is pretty, you know, it's pretty flat and pretty, you know, transparent to everything. I think I think Al Jazeera is really close to New York Times though. It's pretty even and it's pretty fair with everybody and really good. It's like comprehensive. 
All right, so um, so this there's a website called bustle.com. I don't know if you know about it, but they're talking about Remy Malik's um, Emmy speech. And he's like, he was basically calling for more diversity in Hollywood. And um, he said, um, <laughs> he said, please tell, tell me you're seeing this too. Like when he stepped up to the microphone. <laughs> and um, then, you know, he said some beautiful things. He said he dedicated um, the rest of his speech to the Elliots of the world. He said to the to those people who likely wouldn't be inclined to hang out with a man like Elliot, um, who feels alienated from the world despite um, liking the show. He said, "Congrats to all the Elliots out there." He stated, "Is Rami like, Malek like Elliot? Did he? Is, does do you know anything about Rami Malek?" Well, I mean, I know he's Egyptian. I know he's like um, a pretty like quirky dude. But is he's he a loner? Not, is he like a hang in the closet loner and hack and computer no. terminal only? No, no, actually, I don't think he's a computer guy at all. Um, That's kind I've of funny. I've seen a couple of um, interviews with him, particularly, um, uh, you know, around the series Mr. Robot and, you know, in the last like year or so. And when I see him on any sort of interview, um, program. He's very gracious, um, but he seems a little wound up and he seems um, a little uncomfortable with the whole spotlight thing. He's not one of those smooth dudes. Well, that's kind of refreshing. Yeah, it is. Don't always want to see like Jack Nicholson every time you see somebody. Uh, well, no. I mean, you know, it's it's nice to have real, real people. Yeah. All right, Jamie. Well, that's it for Mr. Robot. I look forward to doing the other stuff with you. Um, I don't know what's next for us. I don't know which in timing comes up next. If it's Saul yeah. or whatever. But February 15th is when it started last year. So I'm looking. You're probably looking at February of 2017. All right. February, January, February. First part of winter. Or whatever. End of winter. The Americans isn't even in this in the Americans, this I know, started filming recently because they had the Joel put some. Uh, he puts the writers' rooms. He puts the real tantalizing stuff up, like "Ooh, we're in the writers' room." So yeah, that's, that's true. He does do that. So let's just leave it at making a murderer. People listen to us. That's a good reason to come and listen to us slog our way through making a murderer because you'll find out when Better Call Saul starts and the American starts, <laughs> and maybe BoJack yeah. Horseman or something else fun in the middle. It's February yeah. to April, Better Call Saul, so I would as- expect a similar timeline. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Is it that far? February, March, April. Yeah. Oh, God. It's only, you know, it's only 10 or 12 episodes. It's only two months. Wow. I didn't realize that it was that um, that short of a season and that late of a start to their season. All right, Jamie, have a good one. See you next on whatever we do next, and I'm right. looking forward to it. Me too. All right, bye-bye.